Welcome to the Victory Orlando podcast. We exist to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus and to connect them with their purpose. To learn more about us, visit us at victoryorlando.com. Thanks for listening. We pray that you are encouraged and inspired by today's message. Well, we are in our series called Living with Open Hands, and next Sunday, December 8th, is our Legacy Offering Sunday. We love that day, Legacy Sunday, because it's a day that we gather together as a church and we give over and above sacrificially to advance the vision of our church. And I say our church because it's not just my church. It's all of us. We are the church together. The church is not one person. The church is not just the pastor or the worship leader or just the kids leaders. No, the church is all of us. And if we're going to advance the vision that God has given us as a church, it happens in two ways. It's through our serving and through our giving. So the speed at which we do what God has called us to do happens with those two things. And so that's why we love Legacy Sunday so much, because we come together and we say, we're going to take this day, set it aside to do something extra to advance the vision that God has called us to in this church. So I want to tell you about three specific areas as we've been talking about <coughs> Legacy Sunday and what the areas that these funds go towards. Because I want you to know, I want you to always have confidence as you're giving into this ministry of what's happening to the funds that are coming in. The first area that we uh, focus our legacy funds to is giving away from ourselves. We actually do this on a regular basis as a church because we believe in tithing and we believe in giving. We don't believe in just talking about it. We believe in living it out. So we practice it personally, but we also practice it corporately. So as a church, all the funds that come in on a regular basis, we tithe and we give away from ourselves. Um, last month, it was about 14% of our, all the funds that came in went out through giving, through missions and outreach and those types of things. So part of our legacy funds will go towards that as well. Another area that our legacy funds will go towards is preparing us for ministry opportunities that are coming our way through the Hope Truck and through expanding some of that, through um, increasing our ability on the Hope Truck and some repairs, and also what we're doing here on Sundays and some of those things we're getting ready for the new year because January's coming. And man... January is one of the biggest months for church growth that there is. People are coming back to church. I want to be ready for when people come. Amen? Amen. So we're going to be ready. The third area that we're targeting our legacy giving towards is towards saving towards our future building. Come on. We can get a little more excited about than that. I'm so thankful for our setup and teardown team. They're here faithfully every week. And many of you don't know that we're in an elementary school because they do such a fantastic job. But we are actually in an elementary school. And I love, I love every week seeing the transformation where we pull up to a school and then it turns into a church. And then by the time we leave, it turns back into a school again. Y'all thought Cinderella was original with the pumpkin and all that. But I, if you've never seen that transformation, some of you just come here and you're like, wow, this doesn't even look like school. It's a church. And that's great. I encourage you, come be part of the setup teardown one week. Man, you have a whole new appreciation for church and what happens in this place. It's, it's awesome. So, man, I'm excited about putting money towards saving for a building. We've been doing this for a while, but we're targeting specifically our legacy funds towards that. Because when the opportunity comes for a building, if we're not prepared, guess what? We miss out. I don't want to miss out on what God has for us. So we're going to be prepared for when those opportunities come so we can maximize everything that God brings our way. Here's the word I want to bring us today is this, is biblical priorities of a generous life. Biblical priorities of a generous life. So over the last several weeks, we've been talking on this whole idea of living with open hands and what that means. It's basically the boils down to this concept of everything in life is not about me. It's not all about us. 
that our lives should actually be geared towards blessing others. It's living with open hands. It comes from this, this uh, scripture, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. It says this. It says, those who live to bless others will have blessings heaped upon them. And those who pour out their lives to pour out blessings on others will be saturated with favor. I love that scripture because it's just giving us such a clear picture of the open-handed life. That it's not just a one-time deal. I did it once because I felt bad or, or something pulled on my heart and I saw that sad puppy commercial on TV and I gave to that you know, organization who's helping the poor dogs or whatever. Like, it's my whole life is geared towards blessing others. I'm pouring myself out to bless other people. It's, it's a lifestyle. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of living that I'm living to bless others. So we've been talking about in this whole idea of living with open hands, so many areas that we end up living with closed hands. And so if you missed any of the weeks, I encourage you to get on the podcast. There's a link on our website, victoryorlando.com, or if you prefer video, it's available on our YouTube channel. But truthfully, all those areas that we've talked about, different areas, forgiveness, stewarding, dreams, all those things, a lot of those areas can be fairly easy to hide the fact that we're living with closed hands. We can be, have a cold and hard and closed heart, but on the outside, putting on a show so that everyone thinks that we're good and we're generous and, and we're doing okay and we're spiritual enough, but inside, we're really closed-handed. We're really not generous. But what I want to talk about today, while it's, it kind of can be hidden a little bit, it's really one of the most telling, one of the most obvious positions of our heart, because that's really when it boils down to living with open hands is the condition of our heart. Today, I want to talk specifically about financial generosity. And I think, um, I, know, I know the, uh, the opposition. I can feel it even a little bit, you know, when somebody in the church says, let's talk about money. But I really think that it shouldn't be that way. I think that as Christians, as a church, we should be excited when somebody gets up and talks about money. Right? Because we understand that God is in the business of blessing and increasing people who have a right relationship with money. And are, and are willing to invite him into it. See, I believe that, you know, when I give my money, that I'm not just putting money in a bucket, I'm not giving it to a person or to a place, and then I'll never see it again, and it's flying away. That's what happens when we pay other things, right? But when I give my money, I'm actually sending my money on a mission. I'm sending my money on a mission to do what God has ordained me to do. And what's interesting is that when I put my money and I send it on the mission, what's happening is, is that it's going out and it's reaching people. It's going out and it's, it's making sure that, that people that are far from God, that are hurting, that are broken, that don't know Christ, have the opportunity to know him, experience his love, and come into the family. That's what my money is going to do. That's why we say every dime represents someone's destiny. Every penny represents someone's uh, a person. It represents someone. So my money is going out and search for people who are lost. That's what my money's doing. The good news is, is that it's not just, oh, my money's going away from me, but God actually does this crazy thing that he's in the business of multiplying things. So when I put my money in there and I send it on a mission, it goes and it's successful. It accomplishes its thing. It reaches people, but then God does this thing where in some uh, amazing way, he returns it back to me where I'm actually blessed with more than what I had before in terms of money and other things. God multiplies the thing that I sent out, the little thing that I sent out, multiplies 
multiplies the people that it can reach, but then also multiplies it back to me. It's just amazing. And so if we would just begin to understand, like, our money is on a mission. It's not a scared thing that we have to talk about. God's not trying to get something from me. I'm not trying to get something from you. Like, I'm trying to help you get in a place where you're more blessed, where you're more passionate, where you're more walking out your purpose that God has for you in your life. So we should be excited when somebody starts talking about money. I, I'm, I'm just, so I'm pumped about it. We're going to talk about money. And sometimes people are like, Pastor, do we really have to talk about money in church? Like, well, have you read the Bible? <laughs> but seriously, have you read the Bible? Because the whole book is about giving. The whole book is about giving. It's like the story of God who gave everything to get back people that he loved. That's you and me. That's, that's what the whole book is about. It's about giving. So the Bible is very vocal on the topic of giving. It's very vocal on the topic of money and how we handle the things that we have. Um, in fact, there's five times more in the Bible uh, about giving and about our money and what we do with it than there is about heaven, hell, and prayer combined. It's a vocal topic to the Bible. In fact, uh, Jesus, in 16 of his 38 parables, talked about our possessions and what we do with them, 16 to 38. Um, if you're not a math person like me, you had to get the calculator out, that's 42%. 42% of Jesus' teachings are about our stuff and what we do with it. So I just decided, you know, for me as, a ch as the pastor of a church, hey, we're going to teach what's in the Bible, we're going to preach it, and we're going to live it, and we're going to believe it. And so if, if I, as the pastor, then am unwilling to talk about something that Jesus talked about 42% of the time, then I am robbing us of the completeness of Jesus' teaching. So what we do as a church, we take five weeks every year, and we talk about giving and generosity kind of as a tithe of the year. 52 weeks in the year, we're going to do it for five weeks. You know, but if we take Jesus' model, we're going to talk about it 42% of the weeks of the year. So all of a sudden, five weeks sounded really good. <laughs> but it's just, it's true. Jesus is trying to get our attention on money. Not that he's trying to get something from us, but he wants to get our heart into a place with him where we're, uh, where we're ready to move with what he's doing. Um, so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 20. Four. We're going to start there today. Jesus is giving one of his most famous sermons. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, verse 24, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I think it's interesting that he said God and money because he could have said anything. You cannot serve both God and your job. You cannot serve both God and Netflix. You cannot serve both God and whatever. But he chose to say money. You cannot serve both God and money. And some people are like, well, I'm not serving money. Like, I would say serving comes down to priority. What are we giving priority to? Uh, priority in the dictionary means this. It means the condition of being regarded or treated as the most important. So what has priority in our lives? It's a question for us. What has priority? For some people, offense has priority. For some people, lust has priority. For some people, you know, it's their hobbies that have priority or their families. Or some people, it's their job that has priority. For some people, it is money that has priority. For some people, it's their pride or it's jealousy, whatever it is. There's something in our lives that has priority. The truth is there's always multiple options, but only one priority. 
That's one of my pet peeves is those uh, productivity apps that you can get. You can put your to-do list in there, and then you can set like 13 number one priorities. Like, <laughs> that makes no sense. No, there's only one top priority. There's only one thing that's most important. The thing that uh, I, I would say whatever we make our top priority is the thing that we are serving. All right, I got, I got one that's right on the front row, so I have the right message today. Let me say it one more time. The thing that we make the priority in our lives is the thing that we are serving. So if football is the priority in my life and I can't make it to church because I don't want to miss kickoff, then that's, football is the thing that I'm serving. And I use that example because it's real. Right? And the, the thing that we have to understand is whatever I'm serving is getting the most and the best of me. So it's so important. Priority is so important. So we have to understand that as Jesus is saying this, he's saying you cannot serve both God and money. He's saying you cannot prioritize both God and you cannot prioritize money at the same time. It's one or the other. What is he getting at? He's trying to get to our heart. He's trying to get to the place where we can boil down and see what's really going on inside, past all the mask, past all the emotion, past all the stuff on the outside, what's really going on on the inside, what's really being prioritized in our hearts. So I want to give us a couple things today, four priorities, biblical priorities, that if we will begin to live these out, we can begin to live a more generous life. Four biblical priorities of a generous life. If you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. The first one is this, is tithing. It's tithing. If we're going to live a generous life, we need to incorporate tithing into our lives. It's interesting to see people's perspective on tithing. Some people have a, a, a negative or an optional view of tithing and giving. I believe it's because they don't understand the spiritual principles behind tithing and giving. Um, and can I just say this? Um, as, since we're talking about tithing, if you're not tithing, you're not a bad person. Okay, and you don't need to feel condemned. You don't need to feel down about it. This is a message today. I felt like God said a message of hope. Like it's a message to get back to some places where God is calling us to. So tithing, you know, is one of the most uh, debated topics in the church. It gets to be pretty heated with people sometimes. It's kind of crazy that people get debating on tithing. And truthfully, it's really, I think it's quite sad. Um, the studies show that uh, between 10 and 25% of people who go to church are tithers. Only 10 to 25%. It's crazy to think that Jesus came and, and, and did everything that he did. He, he taught us. He suffered. He died. He redeemed us from the curse. And then the church sits back and argues about, should I be tithing? Should I be generous? And all these kinds of things. Meanwhile, there's people that are dying every day going to hell because the church didn't do its job. Can I tell you, it's the mandate on the church. It's the mandate on every believer to take the gospel to every corner of the globe and declare the goodness of God. But here's what we need to understand. Tithing and giving provides for the work of God to happen through the church. Let me say that one more time. Tithing and giving provides for the work of God to happen through the church. So tithing does not, we don't decide how much or where it goes, that's giving. So sometimes people mix up the words tithing and giving like this. Well, I tithe from time to time whenever I want to. What they really are saying is I give from time to time whenever I want to because tithing and giving are not the same thing. I define tithing this way, is tithing is returning the first 10% to God through his church. 
So we don't determine the amount or where it goes. It's tithing. It's returning because it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. We'll look at it in Scripture in just a minute. Giving is then giving over and above the tithe. That's when we talk about giving. So we're talking about biblical priorities of a generous life. We've got to understand tithing, right? Um, so the Hebrew word for tithe is this word mahaaser. Hopefully my Hebrew is okay this morning. It, but the word literally translated means a tenth or 10%. So the tithe is 10, is tenth, right? Tithing is returning the first 10% to God through his church. So let's take kind of a tour through scripture and see all the places where tithe is mentioned, all right? Uh, first place we see in scripture is with Abraham, Genesis chapter 14. I'm not going to read all the places, but I'm going to reference them. You can come back and read them later. Genesis 14, Je Abraham goes out. He defeats his enemies, and as he's headed back home, he meets Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Scripture defines him as a priest of God Most High. So here he is, a representation of who Jesus was. He's a priest of God Most High, and in this place, Abraham gives him a tithe. He gives him a tenth of everything. So here we see that this is 500 years before the law came to be. We see again Genesis chapter 28. Jacob is there, and he's just had the vision of the stairway to heaven, right? He's, he's seen that, the angel's going up and down, and he says, surely in this place is the house of God. So he sets up a monument there, and he says, this, is, this represents the house of God, and he says, in this place, I will give a tithe. This is why I believe that we don't decide where the tithe goes, that it, go, it should go towards the church. Because that, it's that representation right there. This is 400 years before the law. Then Leviticus chapter 27. We see the tithe as defined in the law. Verse 30, he says, uh, the tithe belongs to the Lord. It is set apart and holy. So that's why we say the tithe is returning because it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the Lord. It'd be like if I loaned you my car and you went and did whatever errands you needed to do and you brought it back to me. It's not your car while you're driving it. It's still my car. You're just borrowing it. And then when you give it back, you are returning it to me. It's the same idea. And if you took my car while you borrowed it and you sold it and kept the money, we would have some problems. <laughs> we would have some words. You know what I'm saying? But so, excuse me. So often, this is how we treat the tithe. God blesses us. He increases us. He gives us strength in our bodies to get wealth, to work. He gives us ideas. He gives us connections. He gives us favor. And then we're like, nah, well, God, I can't. I got to pay this. And then I got to like, and, and no wonder God is upset about it because we're keeping giving to someone else what belongs to him. That's supposed to be set apart and it's supposed to be holy. We see it again. We fast forward to the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3. This is probably the most famous verse on tithing. Um, it's Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. We'll start there. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. So he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He's the same. And I'm so grateful for that. And this is also one of the reasons why I personally believe that tithing is for us today. Because God didn't change. And if he required his people, the Israelites, to give, then he's not going to change his mind when it comes to me. Well, I'm going to make, uh, I'm going to ask them to do it, but not you. No, no, he, he doesn't change. So he goes on, he says, I do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and you've not kept them. 
So the worst God is saying, man, why do my people never do what I tell them to do? I give them clear instruction, and yet they end up going off and doing their own thing. Why does that keep happening? He said, but I'm going to give you hope. And I love that about God, is that with God, there's never a point of no return. It's never too far. It's never too late. God always provides a way back for us. Isn't that so good? I love that. Let's give him some praise for that. God, we praise you. Thank you for your goodness for us, always making a way back. There's always hope. He says, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? So we see this dialogue going back and forth between God and his people. How are we to return? He says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, God, how how are we robbing you? He says, in tithes and offerings. Remember, God said the tithe belongs to him. It's not ours. So they're holy and they're set apart. And he says, because of that, you're under a curse, your whole nation because you are robbing me. I, as I read that this week, I had the, like, man, what a terrible place to be where God thinks that we're stealing from him. Whew. Man, that's, I think we could all agree that's not a good place to be. He says, so what do we do about it? He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. This is the only place in Scripture where God gives us permission to test him. To say, God, will you really do what you said? This In this one area, I believe it's because he knew the struggle that would be there. So he said, go ahead, test me. See if I won't do it. He says, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. Y'all, people on this earth, like we've got We've got deflate gate. We've got water gate, all kinds of gates. But God's got some floodgates, baby. You know what I'm saying? He's ready to, to bust them open, kick them open over us. He said, I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. How many are able to, that you have more blessing than you have room to store in your life today? All of us could use more. There's more that God has to pour out on us. And could it be that our lives just aren't lined up with what he said in his word? That we're able to contain all the blessing we have right now? But God actually has more blessing for you than you actually have the ability to store. So much that it overflows out of your life and spills over. And I got to find places to give away. I can't give fast enough because I'm so blessed. Could it be that that's what he said right here? If his word is true, the same word that says that by his stripes you are healed, the same word that says that those that believe in Jesus and confess him as Lord will be saved, that said that you'll have more blessings than you have room enough to contain? He says, he go, that's a great promise if, if that was all there was, but there's more. He says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. You ever felt like, man, I just I put money in my pockets with holes in it, hard come, easy go. You ever felt like that? No, man, that's the devourer. It's the pest taken from you, right? He said, one translation says, I will rebuke or stop the devourer for your sake. He says, the vines in your fields, they won't drop their fruit before it's ripe. So you're not going to miss out on something because of the blessing. He says, then all nations will call you blessed for yours is a delightful land. I'm just telling you, there's going to be people who are lost, people who don't know God, who are going to look at you and say, man, why are you so blessed? Why do you have it so good? And, you know, in this economy, with all the things going on, how can you be so blessed? Well, uh, I live a generous life, and God blesses me. That's how good God is. So we're getting the picture. God is not trying to take from our lives. God is trying to multiply our lives. He's trying to multiply what's in our hands because he's given us an assignment. He's given us jobs to do. And it's going to take people who are willing to live with open hands and be generous in their lives to do all that God has called us to do. 
I just find that people who want to argue about tithing, well, is tithing for us today? It's just the Old Testament. It's part of the law. It was before the law. It was part of the law. And it actually existed after the law, but just in a greater way. Like, I find that the people who argue about that are the people who give and love and serve the least. Because they would rather have a religious spirit about it. They would rather argue about, well, I, I don't want to have to give. Who are you to tell me I have to give? Like, it's not me. It's the word of God. You don't have to believe me, but one day you will have to answer for how you lived your life. Like, Jesus is not, God's not trying to get something from us. He's trying to get to the heart of us. He's trying to get us from, to keep us from letting the deceitfulness of riches overtake our heart. He's trying to help us not to let things get out of priority in our lives, right? In Matthew chapter 6, 21, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart is. Where your priorities are, there your heart is. It's no wonder he wants to make sure that riches and wealth and the things don't have priority in our lives because then those things have a heart. He wants our heart. He wants your heart. Could it be God is not trying to get anything from you, but he's just trying to get your heart prioritized in the right way. So no matter what you feel about tithing, whether you feel like it's Old Testament or New Testament or wherever you're at on it, know this. It is a choice. No one's going to make you do it. No one's going to make you do it. It is a choice. I just decided, me and my wife and our family, we just decided where we were going to be at it. And you're going to have to make that same decision too. We just decided that there's enough evidence in Scripture for us to believe that it is something that God has called us to do. So we're going to, we just decided we're going to tithe regularly. We're going to give over and above regularly. I'm not saying this to boast or to put anything on anybody. I'm just saying that you're going to have to make the decision, where do I stand on this? How am I going to live? We have to come to that place where we make the choice. I'm going to be a regular tither. I'm going to give over and above. And I know God is going to bless me because he's able to bless me exceedingly, abundantly, more than I could hope, dream, think, or ask. Amen? Amen. So biblical priorities for us to live a generous life. Number one, we need to be tithers. Number two, we need to be intentionally generous. Intentionally generous. The Bible word for giving, what we call giving, is really uh, offering. And that's giving over and above the tithe. So that's why we say there's this distinction between tithing and giving. So if we want to talk about giving, then that's giving over and above the 10%. Tithing is returning. Giving is over and above that. So we need to be intentionally generous. That means we plan on it. We don't just hope it happens one day. No, we're going to be intentionally generous. We say it this way at this church. We're going to lead the way with intentional generosity. We're not going to wait for somebody to come behind. No, we are going to lead the way. Um, and Paul wrote about this to the church, um, the, the, the New Testament church. Uh, he, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he says, hey, um, each week, th- you should, uh, each person in the church should set aside something, how they're I- advanced, how they're prospered. According to the level that you prosper, you should set something aside so that when it t- comes time for the collection, there won't have to be any collection. You'll just be ready to give. Such an interesting perspective. Well, no one has to ask me to give. No one has to twist my arm or convince me or give a good enough message or whatever else. No, we're just, we're just people who are intentionally generous. He writes it again, 2 Corinthians 9. He says, hey, purpose in your heart. Decide ahead of time 
what you're going to give. So like a lot of people, like, that's why I'm so thankful to be in this church because so many of you live that way. Like you give throughout the week. Like I know many of you, you get paid and that's the first thing you do. You're on there, you're tithing, you're giving. You've decided in your heart. That's so good because now you're doing it joyfully. You're like, okay, God, yeah, I'm giving this. I know you're going to bless me. And you go out there the rest of your day. You're blessed. You're generous. And things, things grow. Things around you are better because you're living intentionally generous lives. And that's so good for us. We've got to get to that place where we're living intentionally generous. I've, I've just learned in my life, it's hard to live a greedy, selfish, jealous, closed-handed life when you're living generous, loving, serving, and open-handed. It's just hard to live that way when you're living, when your life is about generosity. So we're talking about biblical priorities for a generous life. Number one, we're tithers. Number two, we're intentionally generous. Here's number three. I don't know if you're ready for it. We need to live debt-free. We got to live debt-free. It's a touchy subject, I know, because our world um, believes the lie that debt is normal, that debt is okay, and that we're just probably all going to have that all of our lives, and it's just not true. It's a lie. It's bondage that our spiritual enemy tries to stick on people. I mean, our, we have... We don't even have great examples in our world today of being debt-free. Our own government is $20 trillion or so in debt, right? As if that's not going to be a problem someday. You know, the thing we need to understand is that when we are in debt, we are obligated to something other than God. We are on the hook. Uh, if you don't believe me, stop paying your car payment for a couple months. They will come take your car because you don't own it. Someone else owns it. We're, but see, when we're in debt, we're obligated to pay whatever and whenever they say. We are slaves to that. Let me show you in scripture, Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Notice uh, Paul doesn't write, never have a credit card. He says, let no debt remain outstanding. Because I believe there's a place where we can use some things of this world to our advantage. So if you, if you have a credit cards or you're in debt, you, d please, don't feel condemned today. Just recognize there's a way out of that thing because when you're in debt, it's a lot harder to be generous. I know so many people say to me all the time, Pastor, I wish I could do more, but I can't because I have to pay all this stuff. That's not the life God called us to live. We can't be generous on every occasion because everything that we have is obligated to somewhere other than what God has spoke to us to do. It's all right. So we've got to begin to live debt-free. That's why he's saying let no debt remain outstanding. So, man, we can use certain things to our advantage in, in seasons, but it's just not God's will that it would stay long-term in our lives, right? The problem that people have when we start talking about living a debt-free life is that their desires for the things right in front of them, the short-sighted things, the, the passions and things, oh, I want that right now, are stronger than their desires for their dreams and the plans they have in the future. So we can't trade our financial freedom just for something that we want right now and debt that will remain. We can't trade those things for something that God has called us to in the future. Because what we don't realize is that the decisions that we're making today are training and setting up the generations ahead of us in our family for how they will live. 
So if we are living our lives in bondage to debt and financial institutions, then we're training our kids and setting up the generations of our family to live in bondage to debt the same way. But what if we begin to teach our kids to be generous on every occasion and not just buy everything that we see as an impulse, but begin to, hey, plan for some things and not spend everything that we have and not get our credit card out every time we want something and not just go get the loan every time we got to have the newest whatever. We can set up our kids for success in the future and teach them how to tithe and give and live a generous life. See, living debt-free isn't an issue of how much we make. It's an issue of how much we spend. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. That's a strong word, especially in our culture today. Slave is a strong word. But it's the right word, I believe, for this picture, because it is slavery to things. It is slavery to financial institutions. Like, I'm not a slave to anything. Well, but then we say things like, well, I would give more, but I have to pay for my car, my whatever. I wish my wife could stay home and raise our kids, but without that second income, we couldn't afford because we're slave to things. It's not the blessed life God has called us to live. Here's the fourth priority, saving and investing. See, I would define saving as not spending everything that we have. (laughs) It's a good place to be. Don't spend everything you have. It's not a deep principle, but it is powerful. So don't let, don't let the power of that simple idea pass you by. Don't spend everything you have. Proverbs 21.20, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Ecclesiastes 11.2, invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disasters may come upon the land. Proverbs 13.22, a good person, another translation says, a wise person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. That's your grandkids. It says, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. So saving and investing. So we're planning for the future. We're getting ahead of some things. So if these are biblical priorities to live a generous life, how do we get them to practice in our lives? How do we get one year from now and not be in the same financial place that we're in right now? What if one year from now our financial picture looked completely different? And it can. If we begin to put some values into our lives, how do we do that? If you're like me, when I was younger, man, my finances were a mess, and I was full of pride in that area about it, <laughs> right? Can I, just, can I just be honest in church this morning? Man, when I was young, my finances were terrible, and I just, I had pride about it. No one could tell me anything about it. I'm doing okay. Don't try to tell me what to do or where to give. Don't try to help me and, and know how to get out of debt. Don't try, like, I, I just had pride in my life in this area. And I'm just so thankful for a, a pastor in my life who was persistent enough to finally get in my face enough times and say, you're headed for trouble because pride comes before a fall. And if you don't get these things corrected, you're going to experience problems. And can I tell you, we experienced a lot of problems, a lot of financial problems because I refused to deal with it. I had to make some changes because I learned it the hard way. You know, that's where scripture says, it says, uh, you, you can humble yourself or you will be humbled. It's just easier to choose to humble yourself. Okay. It's like the voice of experience doesn't have to be your own experience. You can learn from mistakes. They don't have to be your mistakes. 
I had to learn some things. I had to change some things. I had to put some different values into my life. So what are some values that we need in order to begin to live out these biblical principles? Let me give us a few today. Three values to begin to live out these biblical principles. First one is self-control. I know I said the S word in church. (laughs) Self-control. Hebrews 13.5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content. Somebody needs to underline those two words. Be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Man, this value is so important but so unpopular these days. Self-control. And so many of us need it in areas of our lives, whether that's in our parenting or our finances or in what we watch or in what we listen to or in what we say or in the things that we lust for, or the people that we lust for, or whatever it is. We need more self-control. A lot of times, the word self-control looks like the word no. Why don't we try that? Let me hear everybody say no. No. That was good. I heard one really good no right here. Let's give it a little more like like you mean it, not like, oh, no. Like, no. Like, let me hear it one more time. Y'all sound so good. So let's do a little exercise this morning. Not like I just ate a bunch of turkey exercise, okay? This is a a, a vocal exercise. I'm going to ask a question. You guys are going to provide the answer. The answer is no, okay? Just want to make sure we're all on the same page. You guys ready? Okay. If I'm struggling to pay the bills, do I need to go to Starbucks every day? Y'all got it. I think we got the hang of this, right? If I'm struggling to get out of debt, trying to get out of debt, do I need to go put all my Christmas gifts on my credit card this year? No. No. Maybe we should have preached this before Black Friday. (laughs) If, If I'm not able to pay all the bills, do I need to go get a new car loan? No. No. If I want to save and give more money, do I need to go out and eat, to eat every day? No. no. You guys, sometimes self-control just looks like saying no to some things. That brings me to our second value that we need to incorporate into our lives is the value of sacrifice. I define sacrifice this way. is giving up something we love for something we love even more. Giving up something we love for something we love even more. I would say this. Rarely will God call us to something to, to do something significant that doesn't require sacrifice from us. Let's look at it in Scripture, Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. You remember what happened on the cross when Jesus took his cross, right? It was a sacrifice. The invitation to follow Christ is a life of sacrifice. It's giving up something we love for something we love even more. I remember when our founding pastors came to me and my wife, Heather, and said, um, would you guys be the lead pastors of this church? We take it over. We're going to give it to you. And we were like surprised, all kinds of things. We prayed about it. We knew God was calling us to it. But um, if I'm, you know, if I'm honest, I was... I was, I was happy with where I was. I was serving in the church. I was the kids' pastor, and, and that's fun. There's a, you know, uh, there's, if, if you mess up, not as many people are upset at you about it. <laughs> like, you can shout a little bit more, and no one thinks you're being too Pentecostal and all that kind of stuff. And, 
I was making more. I was working at a job remotely from home, making more money than I'd ever made in my life. And and I was like, well, God, I could give more money if I keep working at this job. And I remember God brought this word back to me that I had heard before, is that you can either sacrifice your calling or compensation. See, there's this distinction, calling or compensation. And see, that's where the devil wants to come in and be like, see, God wants you to have less. See, when you serve God, you're just not going to, you're just going to get by. And it's just not true. It's just, it's just a lie of the devil. What we need to understand about sacrifice is a couple things. When God calls us to a sacrifice is that he went first. So he's never going to call us to do something that he hasn't already done, that he didn't go first. He gave everything for us. We need to understand the second thing when God calls us to sacrifice is that he's our provider. Wherever God guides, he provides. He's our provider. His name is Jehovah Jireh, God who sees ahead and provides. So he must have seen ahead in my life to know what's best for me and provided for me in that place. He's my provider. The job isn't my provider. The government isn't my provider. He is my provider. The third thing we need to understand about sacrifice is that he knows best. He has something better for me. He has something better for me. So when I'm asking the question of sacrifice, am I willing to sacrifice making more money rather than stepping into what God has for me? That's really just the wrong question we're asking. The devil wants us to guess, well, I'm giving up this money to do this or whatever else. And, but the question we need to ask was, what do I love more? Do I love making more money or do I love seeing people come to know Christ? Do I love, you know, having, you know, this job or, or do I love being in a place where I can see people's marriages restored and lives restored and people finding their purpose? What do I love more? It's the value of sacrifice. Uh, Genesis chapter 22, there's a story of sacrifice. I'm giving you some homework. Go home and read that chapter. It's the story of Abraham when he had his son Isaac. It was the son that God had promised to give him. The son that he, Abraham believed was going to fulfill the, ble- the promise that God had given him that said, I'm going to give you a son, and through your family, you'll be the father of many nations, and uh, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through your family. This was the promise God gave him. And uh, so he had the son Isaac in his old age. This was the son of the promise, God had told him. And so here Isaac, uh, Abraham is believing that Isaac is the promise that God had given him, that this is going to be the one that's going to, uh, my family is going to come through. And then God comes to him one day and says, hey, I want you to take your son Isaac, and I want you to take him to the mountain and sacrifice him to me. So we understand that term. That's like he was going to have to put him on an altar and like they would with a goat or a sheep and sacrifice him to the Lord. So Abraham says he got up the next morning. He didn't argue with it. It just says he got up the next morning, went up. Long story short, he got up there on the top of the mountain. Isaac's on, tied up on the altar. Abraham's ready to do the sacrifice, and the angel appears in that place. It says, don't do it. God has already provided another sacrifice, and there was a ram right there caught there. So what we need to understand about this story is this idea of sacrifice is that in, the, in a moment of obedience is that it unlocks the key to the promise. It unlocks the key to the promise because it's through that place, it was through the promise, through that moment that God reestablished his covenant with Abraham in that place. And it was we know that all the na- we are blessed because of Abraham's obedience. We know that Jesus was part of Abraham's family when you follow the lineage down. And it's because of the obedience that Abraham took in that place. He said, God, even if this isn't the way, I know you'll provide another way. He had already decided in his heart that no matter what comes my way, no matter what God asked me to do, he knows best, right? So Abraham didn't leave that place of sacrifice with less. He left there with more. You understand? We see this in Genesis 22. 
Here's the third value if we're going to put into our lives these biblical priorities. The third value we need is the value of planning. We need a financial plan. We need a plan. If we want to give more, we need a plan for it. Because if we just go through our lives and hope it works out for us, then it's just kind of like uh, 50-50. I don't know. I may be able to. I may not. No, we need a value to plan. What if we begin to plan some things? We understand it in terms of sports. We have to have a game plan. If you want to beat a good team, you need a game plan. We understand it in our job. We need a plan to accomplish the project or the task on time and under budget. We plan our holidays. We plan our meals. We plan our vacations. But so often we don't plan our finances. So what do we do? We need to make a plan. Some of us just need to, I'm going to say uh, the B word in church, some of us need to get a budget. We need to get a budget. You need to know how much money is coming in and how much is going out so that I don't send out more than what is coming in. Right? We need a budget. When we create a budget, we find out how much money comes in, and then every dollar gets a job. Every dollar goes in somewhere. We need to get a budget. Um, same thing. If you're trying to get out of debt, you need a plan. You need to get a plan. Dave Ramsey, uh, one of the leading voices in our nation on being debt-free, he says, uh, you might have wandered into debt, but you won't wander out. <laughs> it's so true. And if you're in debt, you know that to be true, or maybe you've been in that place before. Like, you need a plan to get out of debt. You need to do the debt snowball. You need to get do some things. And if you need some help getting out of debt, ask No one's going to think less of you. Man, we love to help people get on the right track. So if you need some help in those areas, come ask one of our leaders. We will help you. We will equip you, get you on tools to get you on track to get out of debt. Some of us, uh, another great financial plan that some of us can incorporate is the 10-10-80 plan, right? That's give 10%, save 10%, live on 80%. It's the 10, 10, 8. We need some financial plans. If we would begin to plan some things, we'd begin to experience some financial freedom in our lives. Proverbs 21, 5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. We got to plan if we're going to be more generous. Purpose in our heart. Decide ahead of time. So can we just, I know this is a challenging word for us today, but man, I believe there's so much freedom that God wants to bring to people in this area because the enemy loves to use the very thing that we print on our money to say in God we trust to cause us to trust God the least in. And I believe that God wants his people to have freedom in this area, not feel down, not feel condemned, not feel in bondage about it, but begin to see this area through eyes of faith. So can we just all across this room today begin to bow our heads in prayer? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Can we just begin to pray and begin to ask God, maybe there's an area of your life where you, you, you felt in bondage about this. You felt like, man, I haven't been prioritizing the right things in my life. And today, man, God is speaking to my heart. Maybe this area has always been a struggle for you. You're kind of not sure where to land. You've heard a lot of different things on the area of finances, but man, today God is calling to your heart. He's saying, hey, it's time to make some changes in the priorities of our lives. And today, man, today is our day. It's a day of hope. It's a day to get back, to return to the Lord in some areas of our lives where we've gotten out. Maybe it is in the area of finances for you. Maybe it's in another area. Maybe there's something else that has become a priority in your life. Maybe it's work. Maybe it is a hobby. Maybe, you know, it's a relationship or whatever it is, something that has gotten out of whack in your life. Man, today is a day to just allow the Holy Spirit to come and reset some things in your life. So, Lord, we just thank you in this place. 
You have free reign. Speak to our hearts. God, we want to hear from you in this place.